Hello and welcome to Technically Speaking, a podcast where scientists and engineers come together to chat about common interest, share knowledge and satisfy some curiosity. I'm Laura and in this episode I'm joined by Antonia, Galia and Anika to talk about the carbon footprint of digital communication and our online presence and offer a point of view on some different types of communication and the impact they have on carbon emissions. So to start off with, Galia, tell us one interesting thing you found out about your digital presence or one oddity you would like to share with us. Like most people, I've tried to become conscious of my carbon footprint. And so I debate, you know, do I use my car or public transport? But I never thought about my carbon footprint when I send an email. And I read an article talking about, you know, you could calculate what your carbon footprint is just based on the number of emails you send. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because you need energy to sustain your device and there's actually energy required to send the email. But I think that I dissociated emails with the wider kind of carbon discussion. And I, and I, in part of the article, I read that, um, that if you send 65 emails, it's roughly equivalent to driving one kilometer in a car. Now, I, I didn't fact check this, but just the fact that you can associate your emails to like driving your car in any way Maybe feel like, oh dear, like I actually do need to think about my carbon footprint when it comes to my digital like presence. I was actually quite shocked. And I think we're all sending more emails than ever these days. 100%. I think I get, you know, that like Pavlovian response, like when they hear a bell, when I hear the outlook, <laughs> I just literally start getting palpitations. It's just constant. And because of COVID, I feel like I have to be extra polite. So if someone sends me something and I'll just respond with thanks. Even though it isn't, it's not necessary at all, but I, I tried to be kind of extra nice during the, during these times. Yeah, I definitely tried to do that because when I started my job, I only had been there three months before we went into lockdown. So most people wouldn't know me. So I felt like I had to be really nice and email <laughs> just so that we could have this connection somehow. Hope you're well. Keep well and safe. Those are my uh, standard emails. So I think I might be one of the more ruder emailers because I've never understood like, how, why are you starting email off with how are you? Are you clearly aren't that interested because you have another question to ask I also don't tend to send thank you emails maybe I should now or maybe not if that does really increase your carbon footprint saving the planet Laura yeah my rudeness is eco-friendly <laughs> put that in your signature yeah you know in the signature when it says you know think about the environment before you print you can just be like thinking about the environment before you print or respond <laughs> <laughs> I want that. It's such a get out of jail free card for not replying to so many exactly. emails. I'm definitely going to use that. Uh, but then again, see, I, I would actually, rather than having a long protracted email conversation, I would probably rather pick up the phone. It's a lot quicker and you get a lot more meaning because you can hear whether someone's like being sarcastic or whether they're joking or how serious they are about what they're saying from their tone of voice. And I can imagine that like, using the phone in some instances is actually um, more energy efficient or more carbon friendly coining a new term as well, carbon friendly. <laughs> I had read a landline, not that I have a landline in this house anymore, but if I did have one, its voltage requirement and the amount of amps it requires are actually pretty low. So the total power consumption, it's way less than a watt. So over 24 hours, it's a very small fraction of a kilowatt hour. Cordless phone uses 10 times more than a landline in terms of kilowatt hours. I can't really convert that into a carbon footprint because that depends on your energy source. But I, I can imagine that those numbers compare quite favorably to sending multiple emails throughout a day for a two minute conversation maybe i just hate picking up the phone and speaking to people because i feel like they wanted a response straight away and with an email i'm like hiding behind my screen <laughs> so it's just it's easier for me it might be carbon friendly friendlier to ring but um 
I think for my well-being, I still have to write an email. That is true. You do get more of a chance to think about how you want to respond mm-hmm. in an email. But I, I think I overthink it as well because I'm conscious of the fact that people can't hear my tone of voice. So then I'm like, does that sound sarcastic? It's not meant to, but does it? I don't know. I question myself. Anika, what about you? How do you feel about uh, your online digital presence and how that is uh, related to your carbon footprint? In the last year, I have watched a lot of videos, a lot of Pakistani dramas on YouTube, a lot of Netflix. So I was really keen to find out what the impact of watching all those videos was on my carbon footprint. First of all, I found it very hard to get a number. So many different sources had so many different numbers. But in the end, I found a calculator on the International Energy Authority website to calculate the carbon footprint of streaming a video for an hour. And I chose this just because they stated what their methodology was and what assumptions they made, which a lot of places hadn't. So you could find out depending on which country you were from, what device you were using, what the carbon footprint was. For the UK, streaming one hour of HD video is 33 grams on a 50 inch LED TV. But if you used your smartphone, that would only be six grams. So it was really device um, dependent, I found. So there were a lot of other factors, but the device seemed to have the biggest impact, as well as which country you were. So like the world average is 67 grams for a 50 inch TV and 12 grams for a smart. The UK is a bit lower than that. And I guess that's because of our energy mix. We fortunately do rely a bit more on renewables than some other places. But yeah, it varies hugely depending on what device you use and which country. My my kind of day-to-day work doesn't require me to look at carbon numbers a lot. And so when I saw things were like grams or kilograms, I couldn't quite imagine what that meant. I don't know if that's a lot. I had no idea, to be honest. I found it quite hard to like work out how bad I was. <laughs> Putting into context is really difficult. Like to me, six grams doesn't sound that lot carbon. And I watch most of my videos on my phone or I have stuff on the background like when I'm working like I might Mm. be playing music things like that and is that bad should I be using a music streaming service instead of having the music videos playing on YouTube or a podcast streaming service instead would that be better would it be a matter of grams difference and is is that really the biggest or what if you use radio instead of the internet as well yeah, I, I do have an old analogue radio. That's a really good point, Antonia. The average UK person's footprint is about 15 tonnes a year. So six grams. That's quite a lot of hours of, uh, of streaming, isn't it? Is that more or less hours than there are in a year? If I watch videos continuously. I can try and do a back of the envelope calculation. Let's do a back of the envelope conversation. I love it. Science and maths in real time. No pressure, Antonia. I was trying to do this before we started to check some of my numbers and I just massively confused myself and they weren't even difficult calculations. I just, I'm just not used to doing maths anymore, I think. But I think that's one of the issues as well, Laura, because honestly, the numbers vary so much from site to site. And I wouldn't be surprised if a, it's the assumptions they've made. And I'm sure people make mistakes in their calculations or in the assumptions they make as well. And this is proving how tricky it is to calculate these things. So even if you streamed for the whole year, constantly on your mobile phone you got 52 kilograms that's nothing you're streaming anika <laughs> but that six grams was that just for your energy use or does that include the materials to make your smartphone and how we get rid of the smartphone afterwards i hadn't thought of that actually i'm not sure if it includes uh yeah the construction of the the technology and disposal that's the problem with uh with all these calm footprints is to what scope do they fit in are they just looking at the use stage do they consider the uh manufacturing stage the raw material gathering what assumptions go into it and then i think that's what makes the comparisons difficult so like ralia mentioned before how many emails 65 emails was equivalent to one kilometer 65 emails was equivalent to driving one kilometer in the car but then coming back to antonia's point does that include the manufacture of the car maintenance of the car disposal likewise for the email does it include whatever device you type that email and we have to think a lot deeper about things i guess i wonder in some instances if the article that galia read was sort of deliberately 
picking a comparison that made us stop and think that, hang on a second, maybe I should pay more attention to my digital carbon footprint. Maybe that was the intent in portraying it that way. And it, it seemed to have the desired effect. Yeah, exactly. Because I think it's stated, for example, sending one email is equivalent to four grams of CO2 emissions and just, just in, in the electricity responsible for that. And for me at the time, I was like, cool. <laughs> but that, that you're right in that the comparison made me stop and think and be like, oh, how am I, how is my email, how are my emails being compared to driving a car? Wow, like I didn't think they were even comparable. We need those things to put things in context because like now we said, oh, what does six grams of, of CO2, what does that mean? We don't know. But then comparisons like that do help people put things into context. So maybe in those ways they are, they are useful, even if they're not fully accurate. But say if we were going backwards to like before we had emails, what was the alternative? Just sending a letter? When I thought about, about the car situation, I was thinking, okay, if I wrote letters, well, for, for, I know for a fact I would write incredibly less letters. So I wouldn't be communicating that much. So I'd send, what, a letter a day. But how can that be compared to, like, the tens of emails I'd send in one day? So I think that, like, although it's it's easy to compare, like, okay, one, one letter, the carbon emissions, if you like, of one letter it c- compared to one email, I think that's an interesting comparison, but I think most of us write way more emails than we do with like sending out letters. They will have to travel more than one kilometer. <laughs> Assuming the person you're writing the letter to is more than one kilometer away, they might travel thousands and thousands of kilometers, maybe by boat, maybe by plane, depending on, on where they're going. So in that way, then maybe email is better because it's avoiding us having exactly. to ship these letters all over the world. I bet no one's <laughs> done that life cycle analysis though of an email versus a carrier pigeon. Carrier pigeon. <laughs> sending in a bottle across the ocean oh but you know you know the carbon footprint of like raising animals is quite high so we have to feed them actually carry pigeon might might not be a, not, not a car but it's not uh not free that's very true <laughs> I guess even before letters, they used to physically walk to places, right? I love how like the world is going like more globalized and everything. We're like going back to basics. Like, can we run <laughs> to the person to send them the message? <laughs> Speaking of travel, we're all traveling a lot less at the minute. Um, I used to travel a lot to conferences previously. Obviously can't do that. So now all online. Um, and I think that makes a difference to like, the quality of what I get out of the conference. It's just really difficult to like strike up a conversation with someone in passing over coffee because I'm sat in my kitchen on my own and everyone else is doing the same thing yeah very awkward because then it it does feel like you're very purposefully contacting someone you're going hi specific person whereas at a conference you kind of mill around you kind of see oh what you know you you might overhear what what they're talking about first before deciding oh actually I'm going to join this circle of conversation instead now you have to have a purpose and it's really it's really extroverted I've not made a single contact from an online conference that I've been to this whole time. I've I've made loads of connections through like one-to-one emails or one-to-one sessions and discussions. And I think they're really useful. I just don't think anyone's figured out how to recreate that thing that Antonio was talking about, that kind of serendipity, just meeting someone next to the plate of brownies and like starting up a conversation that leads to collaboration or something like that I don't think anyone can recreate that online very easily which I guess may say something about maybe research outputs in science and engineering in what sort of five or six years time is the because I think the younger researchers in particular benefit a lot from those networking opportunities and what effect will that have on their career will it hinder it or not I guess only time will tell so this pandemic has kind of forced us to rethink how we do site visits and you know we, we can only have a certain amount of people in the building so we've what we've done in like at work we've like strapped a GoPro on someone's head 
and then we can just watch them as they go around um, a site and it sounds good because obviously it's more accessible lots of people can see it and they can like live stream it and we can kind of work out the car like the carbon footprint of that compared to people going to site but I do feel like having watched someone through their like GoPro and actually being out on site it does make it does make a difference you don't kind of appreciate the, the kind of like access routes or access problems or the, the scale of some of the the issues when you're not physically there out on site so I do think that like it's quite good that we're able to be kind of that accessible making sure that we're, we're continuing our work but at the same time are we losing out on something a bit like you're networking just because we're kind of online it reminds me of okay this is not an advert for microsoft but in all these videos i'm streaming i keep getting a microsoft teams advert about this like coffee company and how they've shifted everything online and they do like their coffee tasting online now and so microsoft teams has like this virtual background feature and you just see all these people who are like placed on this virtual background which is like a coffee long tape like a bar table like on bar stools so it puts all their faces and then when they're drinking their coffee it looks like they're all sat together drinking coffee which they've done a really good job because it's affected me their advert I'm like wow this looks amazing I want to do a virtual coffee tasting with these guys it doesn't look awkward or weird like any other of these like virtual coffee mornings that people have but like I think they've just done a good like job in their like marketing department but they're saying they yeah they reach more people that it's more accessible but it it's not the same, is it? Like you can't just smell the coffee like that other people have made for you. And- what if um what if we started making it actually into VR though? Mm. Can you imagine mm. how that would work? Someone was telling me about a really awkward work social where instead of being physically together during COVID, they uh they had avatars that physically moved around a room or or they drove cars as a, as a little activity and they had their little like corporate headshot <laughs> driving the car you know if we started getting down that that virtual reality route would it be a little bit more like real life but then I guess the question is that what is the the carbon footprint of that how much more is it than just the, the GoPro on someone's head it's not quite VR but I did find that in video calling or video conferencing if you take turn off your your video again who knows if uh, what the assumptions were going behind this but it could reduce it by 90 percent of the carbon emissions that was oh wow so forget putting on proper clothes and like tidying up your background just just turn off the video for carbon carbon emissions sake because i can imagine vr being very intensive i i did a vr game like years ago um, i'm sure it's like progressed since then but it's like it's like you're holding on to things you've got like the goggles on it but it feels so real and that was like a few years ago, but it does feel like I was screaming. It's like one of those VR gaming places and like the people working there must just like laugh constantly at all these idiots like playing these games and thinking they're being attacked by monsters. Like I know what you're saying, Antonia, in that like you sit your cameras off and stuff, but at the same time, we kind of still want that human interaction. So like, you know, I want to imagine me never switching my camera on. My manager would never see me because I've never met him. And I think it's kind of balancing that like, are we trying to go for a, a zero carbon footprint process in which case that's like quite difficult we're not and we're really not there yet um or what what's kind of the okay compromise i've not read anything that this is kind of where we should be heading in terms of our, our carbon presence online like what's kind of like okay and acceptable because i don't think we're going to be in a position at least not presently in a situation where we're just going to have no carbon footprint from our online presence and it's just trying to work out actually kind of what is acceptable and what isn't and i think the first thing is actually understanding what is our carbon footprint online and how easy is it to kind of work it out and I think that's what's quite hard at the moment I wonder what's the carbon footprint of of this podcast episode oh, yeah. <laughs> that we're recording now yeah I attempted to work it out based on people downloading this episode based on some numbers that 
they didn't really explain their assumptions behind them. Um, so given that our episodes are typically about 25 minutes long um, and they're only about 15 meg, it works out as like a really tiny number of kilowatts per episode. Converting that by a, an average CO2 emission, which again is probably not all that accurate if it's an average based on different energy sources. Um, it works out with something like four grams of CO2 per downloaded episode. Hmm. So that's pretty small. But again, you're quite right factoring in that we're all sitting here with our videos on cameras on on Zoom. And then I have to spend time editing the episode afterwards on my computer and then uploading it. The the upfront carbon cost of the episode could be a quite quite a bit bigger, I guess. So, um, Laura, you said it was four grams of carbon emissions. Four grams of CO2 per episode downloaded, yeah. So that's equivalent to, according to this one website that I was on, that's equivalent to one email being sent, the electricity needed to send one email. So you downloading this is equivalent to sending an email. That seems wrong, because just, just from the <laughs> pure, like, data size, emails are mostly text, yeah. whereas we've, you know, we've got audio, which if it's like 15 megabytes. So what I saw was uh, one research pointed out that energy use in, in IT isn't that efficient because it's like a train. It doesn't matter how full the train is, it just goes. So even if we're sending like a small, small amount or a big amount, mm. it's just always on. So actually, maybe it doesn't matter if we have our video on or not, because it's still going to do the same thing. Yeah, I want to know, like, so say you have something running in the back, because we can't see it, but it's like Schrodinger's video. Is the video actually moving when you're not looking at it? Or do you have to look at it for it to be moving? I don't know. I assume it is moving. Do, do you know what I mean? No, not quite. I feel like you've gone into like Inception and I'm not, I'm not quite on it. <laughs> say I've got a video, because I always have videos playing in the background, but I can't watch them when like I have another window open in front of them. I see what you mean. I thought you meant if you're just not looking at the screen. <laughs> yeah, I thought you meant if you, if you, it's like that classic, if a tree falls in a forest, did it really fall if there's no one seeing it or whatever? I was just like, this is too, this is too much philosophy for me right now. <laughs> yeah, like, so if I had it side by side, the video is playing and it's all the pictures are moving and it's downloading it. But if I have it on in the background with another window in front, is that the same? I assume it's the same. I don't know why it would be any different. It's just me. I can't see it. Right. I would think so. I would assume that process is still running on your on your machine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but imagine if we could code in a way that it wouldn't. Isn't that wouldn't that be great? So like say it could like your computer can detect that you're only listening to this in the background. So turn off the the video and then when you go back onto it, the video comes back on just to reduce the amount of data you're using. I think that would be such a great way of coding. Maybe we need green coding. Does that exist? Yeah, I I think that's a really good point. And I think that like kind of links onto the fact that I'm, I'm very much guilty of this. I usually have like a billion tabs open. I have so many different things going on and I know things are running in the background. That's all, it's completely unnecessary, but it's my, that's just a bad habit that I have. So if we are able to like code something to make everything else just like stop, <laughs> the only thing that I'm looking at is the only thing that's needed. I think that would really help. Oh, I can just change my habit. I mean, there there is also that that other that other option. I think I think mobiles kind of have that built in, just because of the how much processing power that they have. That you notice it just doesn't play in the background. You're like, oh, okay, this app is just closed because I I stopped using it for a bit, and the battery saver came on. So. Maybe if we had that, but more widely, you know, on on computers, we're only we only have two eyeballs, but the computer is playing twenty videos at the same time. The worst, actually, adverts that play in the background, right? I hate them. And four OD, they only play when you have the tab open. So so there is this stuff because I realized 
because um, I've been watching a lot of the OC, I found out it was on 4OD. And the adverts only play when the windows open. If you minimize it so that it can just run in the background, the adverts stop playing until you open the window again. So this technology exists. Channel 4, share your technology. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to be able to get an ad blocker for um, 4 on demand years and years ago, and they kind of found a way around it. Just made me stop using it. I didn't regularly use it until I found out the OC was on there, which shows you my taste in television. It's absolutely trash, but it was, <laughs> it was nice nostalgia. Yeah, I think, I think we should really get into guilty pleasures of um, streaming media that's going taking a terribly wrong turn <laughs> <laughs> one of the thing about adverts in video is um, on all my social media feeds I turn off autoplay videos mostly because if I really want to watch it I'll click on it but also because I feel like it's just unnecessarily consuming bandwidth and therefore increasing my carbon footprint I feel like these have come about because we wanted to save energy so it's actually quite handy having having one one use of it actually having a further use on our carbon footprint. We were talking about putting things in context as well. And we've talked a lot about the carbon footprint of our digital presence, but I suppose it's worth putting that into the bigger picture. Oh, I had a, a quick peruse on several different websites. My understanding is that every little helps, but it's not that big of a deal compared to a lot of the other industries. I think um, I saw something about if all of the, um, the internet was a country, it was quite a significant country. I've forgotten what country comparable to, but... Global emissions wise, it's about, it's 4%. You know, I saw one website that said 3.8%, another place said 3.7%. Surprisingly close, actually, for, considering all the other conversations we had about carbon footprints and how how close they are. This one was closer. Yeah, I do think, I think what is interesting in our case is that um, we don't have to wait until, for example, the infrastructure world. We're at a place where we've built a lot of infrastructure. And now we're thinking retrospectively about carbon, um, like the carbon embodied carbon, I guess, in, in a lot of infrastructure. And it's a case now, OK, we're already thinking about this as an issue. So um, we're only going to be online more and more. Um, the pandemic probably has like rushed it a little bit than what we kind of initially anticipated. So I guess it's us. To, it's like kind of like on us now to look, OK, we're only going to be online more and more. What can we do? both in terms of our own habits, in terms of like kind of the whole life thing that we were talking about before, like in terms of the, the infrastructure which we build around it. Um, and I think it's kind of just like taking a bit of responsibility for our, our actions at the moment and, and like kind of seeing where it was going, where it's going in the future. I think that's kind of where, the way I see it because the small little things we're doing might not be big, but um, in the grand scheme of things. But I think if we're all kind of the whole world's kind of getting more in line, then it's something that we should probably be thinking about. And I think what Antonia said as well before about not just the data transfer, but the whole life cycle of yeah the manufacturing, transport, disposal of all the devices we're using as well. I'm sure if we incorporate all that into the life cycle, that significantly increases the carbon footprint. And okay, you might say, oh, just the data transfer doesn't, you know, it's a couple of grams, but we wouldn't be transferring data if we didn't have all of these devices right so it's really important to think of the whole whole big picture it sounds like we're all sort of agreed that our digital footprints actually don't contribute a massive amount to our entire carbon footprints but it's still something that's worth thinking about and if there are ways that you can reduce your carbon footprints from your online presence then maybe you should and at the very least it might make you feel a little bit better about what you're doing or even just look into it and see what your carbon footprint actually is i also think that's kind of how we got where we are now it was all these little actions from all these people around the globe that kind of led to the climate emergency that we're now facing and it'll be all these little actions and this collective efforts combined from these little actions that will get us out of it and i think that's probably a good place to end this episode 
The views expressed in this podcast belong entirely to the person that said them. They do not represent any industry or organisation. If you enjoyed listening to these views, it would really help us out if you could rate us, leave a review and tell a friend. This podcast was sponsored by no one, but if you're interested in funding us to continue to have frank discussions about science and engineering, please get in touch.